It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and guys, once again, it's a long year. It really is a long year, and there's so much to talk about in sports, but at the same time, you just run through those days where you don't have really any content to really produce. Today, we have a lot to discuss on multiple levels, but it still is, it doesn't feel like there's a lot to always talk about, but I promise you, this show, we have some stuff to look forward to, a lot talking about this basketball game, Texas A&M men's basketball team, I mean... That's an enigma in its own place. One game, they look positive. The next game, they struggle. We're going to talk a little bit about that and the loss that they suffered to Florida last night. We're also going to be talking a little bit of NFL draft. We have a couple of players who are looking to make the next jump to the NFL level. We're going to focus in on one, Justin Matabike, the team's former starting defensive tackle, where he could land, what is his draft projection, and of course, we're going to be looking forward to some other draft prospects. So, let's get started. But before we begin, just some housekeeping rules. Number one, make sure you're following us on social media. Well, what social media do you mean? I got you covered right here. Number one, Locked on Aggies. You gotta follow us at Locked on Aggies. We are the number one source for all your Locked on Podcast Network stuff, and we are all your number one source for all your Locked on Aggies information. Number two, Aggies SI. All Aggies, part of Sports Illustrated and the Locked On Podcast Network, have partnered together to give you quality content surrounding all things Texas A&M. You're going to want to go check out all of our great work, both written, visual, and audio, over at si.com slash T-A-M-U or allaggies.com. Finally, if you want to follow me on social media, tell me what you like, tell me what you hate. Literally, I am open for interpretation. I love hearing your comments and your feedback. It's really simple. Just follow me at Mr. Cole Thompson. Remember, that's at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked On Aggies. Moving on into Texas A&M basketball. Buzz Williams, I think, definitely is the right hire. A lot of people maybe are sitting here wondering, well, why did we fire Billy Kennedy when we're having the same results with Buzz Williams? Here's the thing I wrote earlier today. Rome wasn't built in a day, but once the foundation was there, it was easy to build up to become the empire it is. AM, I think, has their foundation. Both Emmanuel Miller and Andre Gordon look like steals for the future and names to watch out for due to the success they've had over the past several games. They definitely are two players that Buzz Williams has to build a foundation to recruit and to make AM a basketball school again. The problem is, is that the blueprint for a and success is so mixed right now, we don't know what really is a successful season. To me, if they somehow make the NIT tournament, even if they're a first-round knockout, I think that's a successful year because that's something they haven't been in and that's at least a tournament where they're headed. Every single school Buzz Williams has stopped at, he's helped build up from the rebirth of Marquette to Virginia Tech to, I think, A&M. So everything there proves that he's the right hire. But unfortunately, Wednesday night's loss to Florida definitely proved that the blueprint still has a while to go. 
Florida's backcourt, including Noah Locke and Andrew Nembard, were just phenomenal. Nembard scored, I believe it was 24 points, and Locke scored 19, or 21. Two players in the 20-point range. Uh, let's see. Nembard went for 16, and a half, 16 points in the second half. Uh, he finished on a 6-6 six and six run from the field goal range. Uh, then you have to look at what happened with Locke. He made seven threes last season against AM. He knocked down five for a total of 21 points. So 15 of his 21 came off of the three-pointers. This is something that you have to learn how to defend. And that's been an area of struggle for AM this season. But what really stuck out was the second half. AM was only down by three going into halftime. And then things just got bad. I mean, they were sh they were holding the Gators to 50% from the field goal range, and Josh Nebo was had 10 points. He got two more points in the second half. Andre Gordon was one of the better players to begin the to begin the game. Eight points, knocked down uh, knocked down a three pointer right before halftime to put him down by three. Everything just went backwards. The team shot a total of I believe it was 34% for the night. They were at 41 going into halftime. They shot 33 in the second. They were just 2 of 14 from the three-point line. Nebo only got, yeah, two points. Gordon didn't have any points in the second half. And it ended up just going on a 14 to 4 run to begin the second half. I think the first five minutes. It was 51 to 43 going with 10 minutes left in the game. And then things just started going south. Florida led as high as 21 throughout the game they would end up winning 78 to 61 it was a good i guess final closing minutes by williams's staff but overall there were so many problems here's what he said after the game especially about playing against one of his former players uh, this was the second half quote started okay i think we lost about three in the first ato lost by four in the second one and then started splintering i think we lost by eight in the third one so in whatever those numbers were, the 16 to 8 minute mark, it was getting away from us. Burn every timeout, try every player, run every play, just trying to gain a level of traction. The thing that hurt most was us is that we missed 25 balls and rebounded 14 of the 25. That's just hard for any team to overcome when the opponent's offensive rebounding percentage is higher than your defensive rounding percentage. This is what I'm talking about. Everything Buzz Williams is doing is taking the team in a better direction than what was done last year with Kennedy. But that direction doesn't mean AM is headed towards a rebounding, successful year, as you could call it. There still are multiple problems when you look at this AM roster where there's not enough on paper. To say that this team is ready to take the next step and become, I guess, a even NIT team in that perspective right now. They have players who are successful. Savion Flag shot 11 points last night after being on a five-game skid. They have guys such as Miller, who scored 19, Gordon, who scored 8, Neba, who scored 12, who can make plays. Miller and... Gordon are going to be the future of the program. And so right now they are the foundation with those two guys, higher recruits, 
players who were expected to actually go to Virginia Tech and want to play for Williams still went to College Station. They're guys who are going to, I think, help recruit. But you need better talent. Because Flag is good, but is he a game changer? No. Quentin Jackson misses a couple of shots every game. J.J. Chandler, just not at that same level. There's a lot that goes on with these players that could make this team better. But right now, they're kind of just in the mix. 11-12 isn't the worst record. 5-6 and six SEC. You can't really complain that much. They were able to get a couple big-time wins over Vanderbilt. They took LSU to overtime in a loss. Ole Miss they were able to defeat. They're showing improvement in times, but then you see them regress immediately. And two back-to-back second-half struggles against South Carolina and Florida definitely isn't what you want to see heading in the right direction. What you could see heading in the right direction is A&M actually prospering with their roster and what we could see from them with a healthy unit moving into the final weeks. Could this be better seeding for them when it comes to the NCAA tournament? And also, when you look at their schedule ahead, how many games can they win? We'll be discussing that in just a quick moment. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me ask you a simple question. Are you listening to the Locked On Podcast Network? If you say yes, good for you. If you're not, let me ask you a question. What are you doing? We have over two dozen college football shows ready for your listening ears, including Locked On SEC, Locked On Pac-12, and Locked On College Football. Plus, we have a ton to talk about with the Locked On NFL Network, the Locked On MLB Network, the Locked On NBA NBA Network, and the Locked On NHL Network. So go ahead, do yourself a favor, find whatever team you like, and download LockedOnPodcast.com to listen to your favorite podcast covering your favorite team today. We're talking a lot about Texas A&M and their basketball program. A 78-61 to loss last night certainly isn't the way you want to trend going into the final weeks of the season. But when you look ahead at this roster, they still have seven games left, and maybe they can make the most of these seven games. Of them, how many will they be favored in? That is a tough question. But when you look at these rosters right now, there's some games that you look at and you wonder, okay, maybe this team is better than we expected. Maybe then you see this team maybe struggle at times. I don't really know. But what I do know is there are players that make a team better, and then there are teams that are just kind of there. So why don't we start with that? All right. We're going to start with their next game, which is Saturday, and that will be against Georgia. They'll be playing at Reed Arena. So maybe they'll get some home effort. They've already faced Georgia. They went to Athens. They faced the Bulldogs. And that's a game they're going to want to forget. It really is because of Anthony Edwards, who struggled immensely in the first 10 minutes of the game. Finally made a three-pointer and went off. Led the team with 29 points. The next closest player in points to him was Severe Wheeler, a former Texas A&M commit who went to Georgia after Buzz Williams declined his offer with nine. There was a 20-point difference between the two. So the real question is this simple. If AM is able to contain Anthony Edwards, that's a close game. I think the home basis at Reed Arena 
will definitely help out. And I think when you look at how they've played at home in the first half, that kind of gives them hope, I guess would be the best way to put it. But I look at this Georgia game being as the game that really will decide if they're even going to make any noise in the in the NCAA tournament. I mean, right now, Georgia's sitting as the 13th seed in the NCAA SEC tournament, and A&M is the number 19. They're probably not going to be, they're not going to be considered for the NCAA tournament. No way. After Tennessee, I don't see a team getting it. So there's Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. And I believe probably four or five of them will make it. Kentucky, Auburn, and LSU are set. After that, those next four will fight for the last two spots. But when you look at the next game for A&M, after Georgia, I think they can win that one. They play Nate Oates in Alabama in Tuscaloosa. First off, that's always going to be a tough game for me because of I went to Alabama, so I always will have the Roll Tide pride inside my heart. But Alabama as a whole has also looked really good in the past couple weeks. They were able to take Georgia to overtime in Athens, 105-102 to victory. They blew a game against Tennessee. They probably should have won that. They were up by 18 points, I think it was, with with 19 minutes left, 18 minutes left, and they blew that one. They they battled Arkansas, 78-82. to 82. I mean, they barely lost to Arkansas. And they almost beat Auburn in Auburn. Auburn is a top 15 team in the nation. And this Alabama team was able to contain Auburn. And when you look at the numbers, Jalen Shackerfold is doing phenomenal. 28 points. John Petty Jr., another great guard. Nate Oates has this team trending in a very good direction. Two players both both scoring on consistency between 15 to 18 points. And it's in Tuscaloosa. This is a game I think AM will drop for sure. But I can see them holding around. It's not that I think that they're bad. It's I think that the way Alabama's playing, they're playing like they want to make a tournament. And they could at least, I think, fight for a higher seed to better themselves in conversation for the NCAA. After that, you have Mississippi State, and Ben Howland's team is a weird one. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They get a 10-point win over Vanderbilt. They get a 13-point win over Tennessee. They're able to beat Florida. They barely lose to Oklahoma. Of course, they're going to lose to Kentucky. And then they lose in the Egg Bowl at Ole Miss by over 20 points. And you know what? I get it. But Brian Tyree is one player, and he had 40 points. That's just bad defense. 15-9 and nine is a respectable spot for Ben Howland's roster. They're right now on the fringe bubble team in the tournament. I could see them actually making it with a good run, and that's what they brought in Howland for to Starkville. But this is a game I do think A&M could actually win. This is one of those games where I look at on paper and I see there's been mixed results all season with them. Maybe this is a game where they trip up on themselves. The next two games, for sure, A&M, I think, will lose. There's not even a discussion on that. It's Kentucky and LSU. And one game's at LSU. They're going to lose to LSU. I'm just going to mark that up right now. Will Wade's roster is playing lights out right now. 
And sure, they've had a couple of bad string of games recently. I mean, you look at the Auburn game, they lost by one. They lost to Vanderbilt, which was insane. They hadn't won a conference game, and I think, what was it, 25 games? And that was the one they lost? I mean, that's that's nuts. They beat Texas. Good game. They beat Florida. Close. Florida just beat the doors off of AM. This is a Will Wade roster that is ready to win. And they're a good team. So they're going to lose that one probably. They're definitely going to lose to Kentucky. They're going to lose to Auburn. So they'll have three straight losses in my opinion. And then Arkansas. Eric Musselman's group. Musselman's done a fantastic job. Let's just get that out of the way. The way Arkansas has played this season is pretty outstanding. I mean, 16-8 is not a bad record. Especially for a team that has been known to win in this division and be good at basketball. And they've been a pretty solid team since the 2010s. And you look at their last couple games. They barely lose to South Carolina. They beat Alabama. They hold Auburn to a three-point win. But then they lose two in a row to Tennessee and Missouri. I don't think this is a trap game, but if Musselman and his crew don't get it together immediately, that's a home game for AM. That's a big home game for AM. They get that win at home, that's going to give them momentum going into, I think, the SEC tournament up in Nashville. So I could see them getting three wins for sure, possibly. I see them getting one win. They're not going to go 0-7. They will beat Georgia or they will beat Mississippi State. They could get four wins with Alabama and Arkansas, but I definitely think they're getting three losses. However you want to put it, they're getting three losses. Speaking of losses, AM lost a key player to their defense in Justin Matabike. He's heading towards the NFL, and several scouts who I've spoken to believe he could be a name to watch for in the NFL draft. We'll be talking about where he fits in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas AM. Guys, one more time, if you're not following us on social media, go do yourself a favor, download this app, make sure you're listening to us, and look at all of our great social media content. You can follow us at Locked On Aggies, at Aggies SI, part of the SI period, uh, with the uh, All Aggies page, and also at Mr. Cole Thompson. At Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked On Aggies. We've been talking a lot about a basketball, but we're going to change gears and move to the football side of things, but the long-term pass football side of things. Players who no longer are in College Station. They have moved on, but we'll talk about free agency and guys who are already made a name for themselves in the NFL. Right now, we're going to focus in on a guy who's going to make some money in April's draft in Justin Matabike. I've spoken to about, I want to say, nine or ten scouts in the past month about this kid. And everyone said the same. He didn't have enough as a bull rusher to be considered a first-round pick, but he's a quality defensive lineman who, if you get in the second round, will earn at least substantial reps during his rookie season. That was the consensus I've got of him. I've asked about his grade, where he kind of fits. A lot of people are saying about mid-second round. You're looking at a fringe playoff team to a playoff contending team from last season, probably picking him up. 
And when you look at what he does, there's two defensive fronts he can go in. There's the 3-4, where he probably will be a little too light to play. The nose tackle position, they're going to have to add about, I would say, maybe 15 more pounds on him. He's going to probably weigh in at the combine anywhere between, I'd say, 315 and 325. So you probably need to add just a little bit more weight on him if you're going to play him in a two-gap system. And then if you want to play him in a one-gap system or a base 4-3 or even a 4-2-5, which is what Mike Elko ran a lot in College Station this past year, you're probably going to need him to be about that same weight. But you look at some of the teams from some of the mock drafts that we're seeing, the consensus is a mid-round second pick. A mid-second round pick, my bad. They mean to word that that way. But that's probably where you're more than likely going to see him go if he posts the numbers we think he's going to do at the Combine. If he can if he can lower his speed a little bit, maybe he'll be an early second-round pick. I don't see him going in the first round because of the depth that is a defensive line. Outside of wide receiver, I would say this defensive line class, especially the interior, is a lot more dense than in years past. Matabike probably is the fifth or sixth best defensive lineman, and he's probably the third or fourth in the SEC. Javon Kinlaw, I think, is a little bit more polished than him. I would say Derek Brown is for sure the consensus number one interior defensive lineman. I would actually say he's probably the third or fourth best player in the draft. And then I think you can argue that Raekwon Davis is another one, and maybe Marlon Davidson. You could argue those two with Matabike, where he probably fits somewhere in. But if Davidson's a fringe round one, early round two, I would say Matabike is a early round two, mid round two. Here are some fits where I think that he would flourish for sure. Dallas. Dallas is going to have to replace the production of Malik Collins. They're probably not going to re-sign him in free agency because when you think about it, they're going to need to put a lot of money in getting back Amari Cooper and getting back Dak Prescott. They're going to have to let go of somebody, and Collins is probably the guy they're going to let go of for now. They could go ahead and replace his production with a one-year rental, but to get a guy like Matibike and say mid-round two, they're picking number 51, I believe, that'd be a good fit. I think that he would really do well in the Mike McCarthy system. I think everything that McCarthy's done and who he's brought on to his staff, this would really work. Plus, with the now hiring of Maurice Linguist, this adds another level to the AM production, or I guess train to College Station to Dallas. So it would make sense for him to go to Dallas. And there's a need, a defensive tackle. And there's a day two need. With him and Tristan Hill, hopefully you can build that defensive line back up and have a successful defense to really pair well with uh, uh, Demarcus Lawrence on the edge. And of course, your two linebackers in Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderish. And maybe even Sean Lee if they can bring him back on a short year deal. Another team I really like for him, if he does fall, this is the one team I do think he would fit very well in if it was a 3-4, Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay, if they were to pass on a guy like Kinlaw or Davidson, Matt Abike would make a ton of sense because if he's going to come in weighing just a little bit under than what Ndamukong Sue weighed, and Ndamukong Sue really flourished in that system under Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles. This would be a fit I think that he would work in very well. And 
you probably wouldn't have to play him immediately so he could learn the system, learn a new style of defense, and eventually become that player that really makes a name for himself in the trenches. Maybe he's your long-term option to replace Gerald McCoy. Last fit I really like for him right now is the Indianapolis Colts. Well, I'll go two more. Indianapolis, for sure. I think in Matt Eberflaus's defense, he would be a dominant force to really pair well with guys such as uh, Henry Anderson, uh, guys with Darius Leonard on the back end, uh, even Bobby Okariki. They have a defense that's still pretty promising. And I think that with the addition of Matabike in the trenches, that'd be a really smart fit for the future. And the last thing that a lot of people are banking on him going to right now is Kansas City with like pick number 60, 64. It's not a bad fit. And if they are unable to re-sign Chris Jones, it's a very, very good fit for them for the long-term future. The problem is, where are you playing him? Are you playing him as the nose or are you playing him as an end? I think if you play him as a nose, he's going to be able to make a name for himself and earn some start and earn some caliber reps and be effective. But at the same time, I'm not really sure that he is going to be someone to watch for as an elite player in his early years. But at the same time, if you do resign Chris Jones or franchise tag Chris Jones, you would at least be able to get something out of him in the short-term plan. So I think that if he's there at 64, Brett Veach would be smart to pick him up. But I'm not going to bank on him being the number one target on the team's mind, especially if Jones walks. I could see them going after a guy at the end of the first round. But that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked on Aggies. Tomorrow, we will be talking about NFL free agency and what the actual asking price is for some of the former Aggies headed towards the market. We'll also be discussing a little bit about baseball season. Baseball is back in College Station, and there's going to be a great series coming up. We'll be breaking that down, so make sure you follow us on Twitter. We will see you tomorrow. And remember, give them y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.